Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Christian Church, or GC3 as we're often called. We want to thank you for being here. We're so blessed to have you this morning. Um, we are just coming off of VBS, Vacation Bible School, and so some of us are still kind of recovering uh, from that physically. And uh, so bear with me as I hobble around uh, up here. This morning, we continue in the book of Acts. Before we get into our, our text, though, I want us to look at another passage. I want us to go to Psalm 2, if you would. Psalm 2, starting at the very beginning. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. This passage lets us know that God controls history and all of human history resolves in Jesus Christ. We're going to see Paul in his first recorded sermon that he will present Christ as the climax of all of history. And I want to say here how important preaching was to the early church and how, how important preachers are to the historical church. We unfortunately live in an age when there's a shortage of good preachers. And it's such a high calling, yet the church is in its deepest need of good, biblically sound, scriptural preachers. It's one of the most humbling and yet exhilarating experiences to stand and be able to speak and teach the word of God on behalf of God. And what our church is, and what our world needs are biblically sound, powerful preachers who desire to make much of God's word. In the modern church, real biblical preaching has become rare. And the role of preacher and the act of preaching has become minimalized. I was speaking to a, to a lady after a, a, a few weeks ago who had informed me at her church the pastor removed the pulpit and replaced it with a table. And then he and another teacher sit and discuss a topic in front of the congregation. That's very reminiscent of the emergent church movement of about 20, 20 years ago. Back when conversation replaced preaching. You know, in the Old Testament, there were great prophets, 
speaking on behalf of God. And in the New Testament, they were strong preachers teaching God's word. Christ himself was a preacher. He taught his disciples and apostles. In recent years, preaching has declined, replaced by orators, storytellers, salesmen, or men on a social mission. In his book, Preaching, or Preachers and Preaching, which should be mandatory reading for any young man called to pastor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones gives three reasons why preaching has declined. Number one, not holding to the authority of Scripture. See, if you don't believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and that is the authentic authoritative in all matters, you cannot preach it. See, as a pastor, you are to direct everything back to the word of God. And you with confidence, you can say, thus saith the Lord. But if you don't believe the Bible is inerrant and authoritative, you can't say that. So you have no right to be preaching. Secondly, there seems to be strong reaction against professional pulpitism. When the, the man claiming to be the pastor uses the pulpit to spout out his opinion and views and every emotion, understand something, the pastor's opinion does not matter. Does not matter how he emotionally feels. It only matters what God has to say in his word. The pastor are attempting to influence parishioners to their own political views, social views. Has grown tiresome. And it's led to, to churches desiring to eliminate the role of pastor. And when they use the pulpit for this manner, it leaves being a, a, a church congregation and begins more of a small group discussion. And third, the church has moved to a wrong emphasis. In an attempt to entertain and be relevant, the church has hitched its ride to all sorts of wagons. The church has forgotten their mission and has begun attempting to solve social ills rather than preaching Christ and making disciples. Even today, the social justice movement that has infiltrated the churches, that is, are leading many churches and many pastors to focus on everything else than what they're called and created to do. They're trying to solve problems in about race and misogyny and, and social ills. They're trying, trying to teach or treat the symptoms instead of addressing the problem, which is sin. See, as the church, we cannot look at these issues like the culture looks at these issues. We do not allow the culture to define racial issues, social issues, 
the Bible defines those issues as sin. And the only way to treat sin is with the gospel. We can change as, as many policies and rules and laws as we want. But our mission as the church are not to change policies and laws and rules. Our mission as the church are to see hearts changed for Jesus Christ. The early church in the first century, there was an opportunity for them to be distracted by the social ills. Look at Acts 6, starting with verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The Hellenist Jews, those were the Jews that were, were from outside of Jerusalem, began claiming that their widows were not getting their share of food. Hey, our people, our widows aren't getting what's the social stuff. The social benefits here. And they wanted the, the church and the preachers and the leaders to, to, to take care of this. But the apostles had the right response. They understood the importance of preaching the word of God. But that was, was the most important aspect of the church. Seeing hearts converted not social issues solved. When hearts are converted and living for Christ, those social issues will go away. They appointed seven men to handle these. Right at the beginning of the church, it was tempted to be distracted from its mission of delivering the word of God by being a social agency. The church, Jesus never said, Go out and solve the social ills of society. He said, go and make disciples. You see, in hearts that are reconciled to a righteous and holy God, hearts that are turned to Christ, racism, misogyny, and these social issues can't exist because they're sin. Our job isn't to solve or focus on the symptoms. Our job is to look at the cause of those symptoms, and the cause of those symptoms are fallen, sinful, depraved hearts. That's what the church is to address, and they address it by keeping their focus on presenting the gospel, and presenting Christ and teaching Christ But today, so many pastors right now have become so enamored 
with hoping to solve these social ills, these social issues, for the pat on the back, to be relevant, to be like, look, look what I've done. Look how relevant of a church we are. We're out here addressing these social issues. Don't call yourself a church. Your church are taking on sin by desiring to see hearts converted to Christ. Delivering the word of God and making disciples. These so-called pastors need to stop giving motivational speeches. They need to stop being life coaches. They need to stop being concerned about being relevant. They need to stop being concerned about being a social justice warrior and just preach the word of God. The church was founded on the preaching of God's word. And every God-glorifying moment in the church history is built on top of biblical preaching. And in Acts 13, as we continue on and through our series in Acts, we'll see Paul preach. And he preaches directly the word of God. Turn with me to Acts 13, starting with verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Pampos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Pergia and came to Antioch and Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law of the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, I want to stop right there, Pamphylia and Pisidia. And a few other little states are the areas which make up Galatia. And Galatia and some other regions make up Asia Minor. So they are going to Asia Minor, which is where Paul is originally from. Now the John in verse 13 is John Mark, otherwise known as Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. And John Mark left. Why? Well, many theologians believe he did so because he was young and inexperienced and he was somewhat afraid. They were going to have to cross the, Ta the Taurus Mountains, which were treacherous and filled with bands of robbers. Whatever reason he left, though, Paul held it against him for some time, because later in Acts, when Barnabas wants to take Mark out with them again, Paul refuses, and it, it causes a rift between Barnabas and Paul, and they end up splitting. But now Barnabas and Paul in verse 14 come to Antioch. And this is a different Antioch than when the, the church was established. Anti, uh, to where the, the church was established. Antioch was a, a common name for towns then. And now the journey from Perga to Antioch was a, a, a fantastic journey. I mean, Antioch was in Pisidia, 3,600 3, feet high in a plateau on the Taurus Mountains, and it was 100 miles away from Perga. And Antioch had a large population of Jews, and, and they were synagogues in the city, and Barnabas and Paul enter one and sit. Why did they immediately go to the synagogue? They came to preach. 
They came to preach in the city. And the synagogue was a ready-made audience. And look at verse 15. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now here's an interesting fact. If you go into any Orthodox Jewish synagogue today, they would still be conducting services in this order, as they were here in Acts. They meet, they recite the Shema first, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Then they offer prayers. Then they read scripture, which is uh, from the, the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the, of the Bible. Then they read from the, the, the prophetic books. And that's why it says in verse 15, after reading from the law, the Pentateuch, and the prophets, that's every Orthodox Jewish synagogue even today. And the rabbi, as leader, then asks if Barnabas or Paul have any words of encouragement. Why? Well, for one, Paul was well known and had been a member of the Sanhedrin, and he was valuable. Now, Paul takes this open invitation and he runs with it. Now listen, look at, look at verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, remember a, a few weeks ago, we spent a few weeks looking in Acts 8 and Acts 9 and Acts 10 on how the Holy Spirit prepares hearts to hear the word, cultivating the soil of the heart and it prepares a messenger to plant the seed in that prepared soil. And we saw that in, in the African eunuch. And he got his hands on Isaiah 53. And then Philip was prepared and sent, met up with him to share the gospel. We saw it in the conversion of Paul from Saul when Saul's on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to him and strikes him blind and sends him on to Damascus for a few days and Lo and behold, in Damascus, Ananias has been being prepared. And he's sent to Paul to share the gospel. And we've seen it when Cornelius, the Roman sentry, who had heard Christian teaching and it had touched him. And so his heart was being prepared. And it was the soil of his heart. The Holy Spirit was preparing it because that was going to be the door that was going to be kicked down to take the gospel into the Gentile world. And at the same time, God is preparing Peter, who was bigoted towards Gentiles. The last person you would think would take the message of the cross to the Gentiles. But God prepares Peter, sends Peter. God, the Holy Spirit always prepares a heart, cultivating the soil of where the seed will be planted and prepares the one who's going to plant the seed. And the Holy Spirit was cultivating the soil in the hearts of the Jews in the synagogue, and the Holy Spirit had been preparing Paul's heart to deliver the message. Everything that Paul came through opened doors for him to deliver the gospel for people. And Paul starts delivering the sermon to these to these Jews in the synagogue.
We see as we go on with verse 16. Men of Israel and, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jess, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Notice in the, the very first part of this sermon, Paul opens with what the audience would know. Verse 17, he talks about Moses and the Exodus. Verse 18, he talks about the Israelites wandering in the desert. Verse 19, he talks about delivering the, them to the promised land. Verse 20, he refers to the judges. Verse 21, he refers to the Jews' desire for a king and Saul, and it takes them to David. Verse 23, he reminds them of the prophecy and takes them to Jesus as its fulfillment. Verse 24, he talks about John the Baptist. In verse 25, Paul references John as the one who prepares the way for Jesus. So Paul takes them through their own history. Remember, these were dominantly a Jewish audience that he is preaching to, and he takes them through the history of, they all know and they all hold to, and through it he takes them to Christ. He uses the Word of God from the Old Testament teaching, the Word of God to take them to Christ. Remember, they did not have a New Testament at this time. They only had the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written in real time. They had the Book of Law, they had the Prophets. Notice, Paul did not attempt to address the social issues. Paul did not say, listen, you Hellenist Jews, you look down on the Gentiles in your area. You Hellenist Jews, you at times feel left out from your Jerusalem brethren. He did not say, let me appeal to your social plight, your economic struggle, your social class. Paul stood and he took them to Christ by the way of God's word. And God's word alone. Why? Because Paul understood his mission. A pastor and the mission of the church is to get people to Christ and make disciples. He did not say, let me play on your guilt for how you view, uh, view Gentiles. Let me play on your desire to gain prestige or wealth. Let me entertain you with funny, humorous stories about my personal life. Listen, pastors, nothing in your life has the power of God's word. 
No story you could tell has the power of God's word. But scale back the stories. Let's scale back the whole aspect of trying to entertain and let's preach the word of God. Here's why. First, solving any of those social issues or people's social views saves no one. Understand something. There are a lot of non-racist, socially impactful people who are still going to hell because they do not have Jesus Christ. There are a lot of wealthy, successful people who are going to hell because they do not have Jesus Christ. There are a lot of entertaining people who go to hell. None of that saves a soul. And none of it is the mission of the church. We're pastors. Listen, many, many churches have completely lost their way because the leaders have lost focus on their mission. I have tremendous respect for the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, we're non-denominational. We belong to no denomination. But there are denominations I have respect for overall, and I've always had, had respect for the Southern Baptist Convention. Always considered them theological allies overall. But when the president of the Southern Baptist Convention stands up and says he sees no reason why a female could not be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention to appeal to cultural pressure from the Me Too movement or whatever he felt he had to, to buckle to, when their convention sends material to their churches commanding to call for certain parishioners to repent of past racism from their families and the, and, the, and taking part in, in this racist system that they, they claim, when their attempt is to tear down everything and deconstruct everything, traditions and the established theological teachings established by biblical standards, to appeal to a cultural mindset, they've left their scriptural message. And they're way outside their bounds and calling of both the church and of their pastors. They can no longer claim scripture as their sole authority. They've left the bounds of biblical Christianity in those acts. Listen, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we understand in a life led by the Holy Spirit and lived for the glory of God, racism cannot exist in that life. But we review racism not as the world does. The world views it as, oh, it's wrong. And we'll create some type of programming or we'll, we'll change and, and re deconstruct and tear things down and, and tear things apart. We cannot, as the church, view it that way. We view it for what the Bible says it is. It's sin. 
So those who are guilty of it are guilty of sin. And like any sinner, the cure is Jesus Christ, not social programs. Racism subsides when the Holy Spirit dwells in the believer. So we take people to the cross through the gospel in an effort that the heart has hopefully been cultivated to receive the gospel and that they are saved. Same with those who would have misogynist views over women. We see that as sin, not as the culture describes it. And movements are not the cure. Jesus Christ is the cure. Tearing down standards and structures that are held by biblical authority within your denomination is not the cure. Changed hearts, reconciled hearts of fallen sinners to a perfect and holy and righteous God are the cure. Our mission as the church is not to be culturally relevant. Our mission as the church is not to end racism or to end misogynist behavior. It is to take Christ through the word of God into this sinful dark world so that those hearts can be called to God. And that through the word they're brought to repentance and they're reconnected to God. They're reconciled to God. See, when those hearts are transformed, when those hearts have been turned and cultivated and filled with the Holy Spirit, see that the Holy Spirit deals with those issues of sin in those individuals. Paul does not attempt to sound relevant or entertain his audience here. And he knows the message that he has will ruffle feathers and it will stir emotion and it will make people uncomfortable. Today, so many pastors are concerned about the comfort of their congregation. Let me, let me tell you this. Your comfort is not my concern. Your salvation is my concern. Your maturity in Christ is my concern. We address those issues in your life. And when you use the scriptures to address those issues, it's going to make you uncomfortable. In 2 Timothy 4, one through four. Paul instructs Timothy, who is preaching in Ephesus. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and extort with complete teaching and patience. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So many so-called pastors are doing everything other than preaching God's word. And the sheep are being malnourished. Our focus is to be on Christ. And the only right, true picture we get of Christ is in the very God-breathed word found in scriptures. How dare I ever be so arrogant to think that any thought or phrase I came up with on my own could ever be as powerful as that. Preach the word. We looked at the very beginning at Psalm 2. We saw that God is sovereign and he is in control and he calls whom he will. And he converts the hearts that he will. And through the exhortation of his word to their ears, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Why? Because he is in control. Listen, we're going to be in the sermon of Paul's next week as well, because there's a lot of meat in here. But I want to look at the real world application here for us. See, as fallen, depraved sinners who have been called to Christ and through God's grace have been saving faith in Jesus. Do not get distracted by social justice issues. Do not get distracted by attempting to fix or change behaviors, which are the byproduct of of society's sinful nature. You have been called and prepared to plant seeds to take the gospel message of Christ into the world. And God, through his Holy Spirit, has prepared the hearts to receive that message. Listen, our mission is to grow the kingdom of God. And that does not happen by changed laws or changed policies or changed ideals. That only happens by changed hearts. And hearts only change by God's grace alone, for God's glory alone. We preach, we teach, we evangelize with God's word. Taking the message of the cross to a fallen world in desperate need of the only real hope that there is. Jesus Christ. Let's pray.